Morning, everyone. Thank you very much, Alice. Uh, last week, I invited all of us into a conspiracy, uh, an Advent conspiracy where this year we conspire together or plot together to uh, approach and to do Christmas a little differently. Not because someone's come up with a, a novel idea, but because many of us, maybe, maybe even all of us, recognize and lament the fact that the true meaning of Christmas is slowly but surely getting buried under a pile of other stuff and other priorities and other practices. But as we admitted uh, last Sunday, this isn't going to be easy to kind of do Christmas a little differently. Because we all feel the pressure to go with the flow. We, we all feel the squeeze of culture to conform. Or at least I do. And maybe I'm the only one. And therefore, it, it is going to be hard and challenging to swim against the tide. And yet, as I've been thinking about this, and yet as followers of, of Jesus Christ, whose birth at Christmas changed everything, split history, it actually led to the possibility of transformed lives, ours included. But as followers of Jesus Christ, and again, I recognize that's the majority are here this morning, surely we have got to find ways to model something different around this time of year. Surely we've got to. That expresses why Christmas is really worth celebrating. That kind of somehow reinstates Jesus as the reason for the season. Advent conspiracy encourages us to come back to the heart and soul of Christmas. It invites us to question, what has Christmas actually become? What has it become? And it invites us to remember and enjoy what it's really all about. And as we pick up this challenge, or if we pick up this challenge, because at the end of the day, this is just a challenge I'm throwing out. But if we pick it up, I've said we're going to look at four things that we could do to join the revolution. And here are the four things. Worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. On the way out last week, a few of you said to me, David, I, I really like this, but it's about a month or two weeks too late. <laughs> and, and I realize that, but remember, there's always next year, okay? There's always next year. Now, what we're really talking about, and I suppose this, this kind of speaks into that, but what we're really talking about in this short series, and I want us to see it in these terms, we're, we're actually talking about discipleship issues. It's not just an alternative idea. This is about working out and living out what does it mean to follow Jesus in our day, in this city? What does it actually mean to follow Jesus? And how should that impact, or how does that impact our worship, our spending, our giving, and our loving? How does following Jesus impact all of those areas? So, this, so as I say, it's not just a novel idea, not just an alternative idea. This is actually core discipleship issues. And last week, we explored the need to worship fully, which we said has got to come first. Before we look at the other three, we've got to kind of establish this and prioritize this and put this right up front. 
And as we thought about what that actually means, we went back to the first Christmas and we saw how many of the, the key characters responded in worship to the prospect and the arrival of Jesus the Christ child. But because of time, we kind of just honed in on two characters, Mary and Joseph, both individually and then as a couple. And based on what we discovered, we found out that to worship fully means to serve willingly, to sing passionately, to obey readily, and to marvel regularly. And for those who were here last week, let me ask you a question. How have you got on with those during the past seven days? How have you got on with those? This morning, we're going to move on. And I want to look at the second Advent conspiracy practice and value, which is spend less. Now, already some people smiling at me. This, this is probably the one that's going to jar the most. This is the one that apparently uh, causes the most reaction. I mean, very few of us would argue with worship fully, give more, love all. I mean, they sound great. We like those. Amen, David. <laughs> but spend less. That, that's a slightly trickier one. In fact, it's also quite sensitive to talk about money and spending it. Controversial, maybe. And it's those things, it's both problematic, trickier, sensitive, controversial for, for lots of reasons. For example, people's situations are very different. Very different. There's very different situations reflected in this room. People coming from different places, different backgrounds, different experiences, different income levels, all of that. And so there's a real danger here that as we discuss this, we could become judgmental. It's a real risk. Or we could go out of here this morning and feel that we are being judged and critiqued by others. Did you see what he bought her for Christmas? Can you believe how much she spent on the kids this year? It's ridiculous. You see, the minute we go down that road and start talking like that and start adopting those kind of attitudes, we've missed this. Because that's not going to be helpful. In fact, it's going to be counterproductive. We must avoid lecturing, shaming, or sending anyone on a guilt trip. Because actually, to do that is really easy with these sort of subjects. Really easy to send all of us on a guilt trip. That's not my heart. That's not what I intend this morning. Yet, despite all the potential problems and sensitivities in raising these issues... I do believe that if we're going to approach Christmas differently and if we're going to avoid getting caught up in the vortex of rampant commercialism and hyper-consumerism, then we do need to talk about this. And maybe that is the key starting point, actually to talk about it, to just lift the lid and actually talk about this as families and as friends and as a community. Talk about what we have and what we don't have. Talk about what we need and what we don't need. And let's not be afraid to do that. Now, although very few of us, I'll guarantee you, probably none of us would say, do you know something, I don't think we need to spend less, David. 
I, I, actually, I actually think we should spend more. I'll guarantee nobody is here this morning who would want to argue with the, with the idea of spending less. Nobody's going to say it's a stupid idea. In fact, there may be somebody here or some people here this morning who are insulted at the suggestion because, listen, David, that is just blinking obvious. It's just obvious. But let's be, be really honest because for the vast majority of us, this is hard. It's really hard whenever, and this is not an exhaustive list, and I've no doubt you could add more, but you know something that's really difficult to spend less or even consider spending less whenever? Here's a number of reasons. Whenever expectation levels are high and keep rising, not just other people's expectations but our expectations of, we, of what we expect others expect. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah? Not just other people's expectations, but what we expect, others expect us to expect. It's hard to spend less whenever prices keep rising. Things, most things are now more expensive. And therefore you get less for your money and so you've got to spend more. It's really hard to spend less whenever you live in a con culture and a context that peddles this lie, and let's call it for what it is, that little is good, more is better, but a lot is best. It's hard to spend less whenever events like Black Friday and Cyber Monday up the ante and grow in popularity, and you're made to feel or think, listen, you see, if you miss it, you miss out. Lord Carey, writing in the Times in the aftermath of the 28th of November, made this comment. The marketing phenomenon of Black Friday is a further step in the commercialization of Christmas. This import from the U.S. has marked a new intensity in the festival of acquisition. That, that's what Christmas has become, hasn't it? It's become a festival of acquisition. So fill up your trolley and let's enjoy living in the kingdom of more. It's hard to spend less whenever the subtext says that to spend more on someone is the best and most tangible way to express that you love them. The more you spend, the more you show you how much you love them. And following on from that is this relentless onslaught of advertising that doesn't just advertise a product, but actually advertises a life. A happier life, a better life. If only had this, if only you got this for Christmas, whoa, your life would be amazing. Richard Foster is one of my favorite writers and thinkers. And in his book, The Freedom of Simplicity, he says this. When taken as a whole, the whole media commercials constitute a worldview, a rival religious philosophy about what constitutes blessedness. We are told by television that the most idiotic things will make us insanely happy. The purpose of all this media bombardment is to increase desire. The plan is to change, that's extravagant, into that would be nice to have, then I really need that, and finally, I've got to have that. We're taken in, we're duped, we're brainwashed. But it is done in such subtle ways that do, we do not realize what has happened. 
We think we are wise because we can easily see through the childish logic of the commercials. But, and this is brilliant, the ad writer never intended us to believe those silly commercials. Only to desire the products they advertise. And sure enough, we buy. Because the commercials accomplish their goal of inflaming our desire. I mean, it's true, isn't it? Advertising works. Why? Why did I say advertising? Because it's huge business. Companies spend millions on advertising because they know advertising works. Particularly at Christmas. Now, as I've said, that's not an exhaustive list. But whenever that's the world that all of us live in, every single one of us here, whenever that is the prevailing cultural context and the mindset that exists, the challenge to then hear someone say, well, do you know what, let's spend less. Well, when you hear that against that backdrop, you just think that is, that's virtually impossible. And yet for those of us who are Christians, money, what we do with it and how we spend it is a core discipleship issue. You've probably heard me say this before, but 16 out of 38 parables that Jesus shared had to do with money. Around 15% conservative estimate of Jesus' total teaching addressed this subject. And Jesus taught that money is the number one spiritual indicator of where a person's heart is. And therefore, there's no getting away from this. It's a vital subject for us to discuss as followers of Jesus Christ. And there probably isn't a more relevant or pertinent time to talk about money than at Christmas. Whenever, and I said this last week, in the UK, an estimated £34 billion extra will be spent. And according to one headline I read this week, we in the UK spend more on Christmas presents than anyone else in Europe. And we are also the most likely to go into debt doing it. But why spend less? Why? Why say no to overindulgence? Why say no to overspending? Why say no to overconsuming apart from the blatantly obvious? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons why. Not an exhaustive list again. Here they are. To learn and reflect contentment and subvert dissatisfaction. Now I know I could speak for ages on these ideas and I want to move on to, to the next value of giving more. But let me say a couple of things on this. In a consumerist society, and again that, that's where we all find ourselves, but in a consumerist society, dissatisfaction drives consumerism. We are constantly encouraged, for all the reasons that I've kind of referred to, we're constantly encouraged to want more. Or rather, not so much want more, but to want bigger, better, or what has become increasingly the case, the latest. And so we buy, and we possess, and then we discard. And then we buy, and then we possess, and then we discard. And so we find ourselves caught up in this cycle. William Kavanagh in his book, Being Consumed, Economics and Christian Desire, says, what really characterizes consumer culture is not attachment to things. People do not hoard money anymore. They spend it. 
people do not cling to things. Rather, they discard them and buy other things. And in this never-ending cycle, dissatisfaction is a key element. Or as someone else has put it, dissatisfaction is the engine of consumerism. And so we're kind of encouraged, listen, never be satisfied, never be content, never settle for what you've got. There's more. There is better. There is bigger. There is the latest. And the truth is, and I need to be honest here with myself, the truth is that shopping and buying brings a certain amount of relief and a certain level of satisfaction. But only on the way to the next round of dissatisfaction and renewed spending and shopping and round and round the cycle goes. And against that backdrop, the challenge to spend less this Christmas is to say, right, tell you what, I'm going to refuse to let dissatisfaction define me this season. I'm not going to let it become the driver. I'm not going to let dissatisfaction push me further into consumerism and hyper-consumerism. To spend less is to say, do you know something? I'm going to be satisfied with what I've got. I'm going to be grateful for what I do possess. To spend less is to accept and embrace the truth of what Jesus said. You know something? Our lives do not consist in the abundance of our possessions. To spend less and to subvert dissatisfaction is to learn and discover contentment. True contentment. Whenever Paul was writing to Timothy about money, he was giving him advice on spending. And by the way, I, I do realize that there has not been a lot of specific Bible in what I have shared this morning or what I will share this morning, but I kind of hope you understand and realize that I'm trying to share more general biblical principles and values. So don't hit me too hard afterwards. But in writing to Timothy, the Apostle Paul said this, godliness with contentment is great gain, Timothy. Because you know something, you bring nothing into this world and you take nothing out of it. But if we have food and if we have clothing, we'll be content with that. Now, do you know, again, some ways that, that seems like a really nice idea, Paul. Great thought, great thought. But you know something, see, in 21st century society, the reality is that's impossible, that mindset. If you've got food and you've got clothing, just be content. Leave it at that. But all of us are caught in this vortex, rampant commercialism, hyper-consumerism. It says, do not be satisfied. There's more, there's bigger, there's better, there's the latest. But unless we realize and accept that actually everything we own, and this, this is really what Paul was saying to Timothy, everything we own, everything we have, everything we possess is temporary. It's on loan. 
It won't last. It isn't coming with you in the end. Who you are as a person is far more important than what you have. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Keep coming back to that. Life is about building character, not about accumulation. So how do you learn, how do you reflect contentment and subvert dissatisfaction? Here's here's the question. How how do you learn this? Many of you are, are, but how do you reflect this? And how do you subvert dissatisfaction this Christmas? Well, let me encourage you to take that as a way as a, as a question to discuss around the dinner table this afternoon, okay? I, I'm not, I'm not going to attempt to answer that this morning. I don't have time to do it. But let me, because as I said at the start, let's talk about these things. So, there's a question. If you run out of conversation over the dinner table, there's a question. How can we as a family reflect contentment and subvert dissatisfaction this Christmas? How can we as a group of people Spend less. Now, obviously, and again, I said this last week, just in case you weren't, we're not saying spend nothing. We're not saying spend next to nothing. But maybe for some of us, it might mean agreeing to buy one less present or putting a cap on how much we are going to spend or buying less out of a sense of obligation. But however we respond to this this morning, please talk about it. Please talk about it. Let's move on. Because alongside spend less, I want us to conspire to give more, which may seem like a bit of a contradiction. Like, how can you spend less and give more? Well, let's go back to, again, the first Christmas to consider the more that we're talking about wanting to give. The the Apostle John, and now we come actually to specific Bible, Uh, John chapter 1, if you have a copy of God's Word, and these are familiar words and you know these, but the Apostle John's version of the Christmas story is really very different from the other three gospel writers. And in John 1, we read these very familiar, poetic, gripping words, and I'm just going to read the first five verses and then jump down to 14. And it says this. Hey, I tell you what, let, let's do what we normally, let's stand for the public reading of God's word. It keeps us, for those who are struggling to stay awake, hang in there. <laughs> John 1 says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was God and the word was with God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 14, so the Word became human and made His home among us, and He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Grab a seat. This word, Jesus, who was with God and was God, became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. God 
came to us. God gave of himself. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave of himself. God gave relationally. What is Christmas about? It's about Emmanuel, God with us. That's the headline. That is the big news. God has given of himself. He's become one of us. God gives relationally. And it's this relational giving, this giving more of yourself that we want to encourage and promote. And so, as I said last week, it's not about more presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. It's not about more presence this Christmas. It's ultimately about more presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Jesus didn't remain at a distance. He drew alongside. He spent time with. And it's that kind, it's that level of giving which makes a real difference at Christmas. Do you know, sometimes it's cheaper to buy an expensive gift than to spend time with someone. So much cheaper to, to, to spend a whole heap of money on someone than spend time with them. That member of your family, that friend, this Christmas, give more of yourself. Give more presents. Because I'll guarantee you what will be valued more. Here's how John Sentima, the Archbishop of York, put it in his Christmas address in 2007. It's not the cost of presents that demonstrates the love, the depth of our love, but rather the quality of our presence amongst those we love that shows we truly care. It is easy to swipe the card and punch in the digits for the purchase. It's not so easy to spend time bringing joy to others. It is Christmas presents, not Christmas presents, that shows our love. And so this Christmas, that, 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 that's my advice. That's, that's this conspiracy. Let's give more presents. And as I get to the end of this, I want to identify two characteristics of the original Christmas presents and how these might characterize ours. To start with, God's Christmas presents was costly. One of the most striking features of God's relational gift to us at Christmas was the cost that it was involved. God did not hold back. God, it says, so loved this world that he gave his only son. A son who, according to verses 10 and 11 of John 1, we didn't read this, but a son who, according to verses 10 and 11, wouldn't be recognized, wouldn't be accepted. God knew he would be rejected. A son who would ultimately lay down his life. The cost to Jesus in being the Christmas gift to mankind was immense. And when you read Paul's summary, and I I often go here at Christmas, but when you read Paul's summary in Philippians 2 that describes the cost to Jesus of coming, you kind of are confronted by this series of demotions, steps down. So Paul says, you see Christ Jesus? He was in the very nature God. 
but he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And so he makes himself nothing. He comes in, back to Alice's, he comes in straw poverty, born in complete obscurity. And he takes on the very nature of a servant. And he's made in human likeness. This is the God for whom the whole world was made through. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbles himself down and down. And he becomes obedient to death, down. Even death on a cross. And our gift at Christmas came at a huge price. And we must never forget to recall the cost, which is why this and what we do every single week here at Windsor is so important. Christmas presents was costly. And therefore, let me encourage you as I challenge myself to reflect this in my giving this year, that I will give more of myself this Christmas. That it won't cost me more money, but it will probably cost me in other ways, like my time, inconvenience, sacrifice, energy. And finally, not only was God's Christmas presents costly, but it was also personal, deeply personal. And so as the angels announce the birth of Jesus, they say this, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you, every single one of us here, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is God's personal gift to you and me. And as we think about what it means to give more this Christmas, let me encourage you to consider giving more personal gifts. Not that they may cost as much to buy, but they do require more thought. As someone has said, rather than giving more meaningless gifts at Christmas, let's give more generously in meaningful ways. And so there's the challenge. There's the Advent conspiracy you're invited to join. Let's spend less. Let's learn contentment. Let's subvert dissatisfaction. Let's discuss what that means, what that looks like for us as a family. Individual families, friendship groups, community. And let's give more Christmas presents, which will be costly and which is personal. Worship fully. Spend less, give more, join the revolution, and next week, love all. Love all. We're going to close. Uh, this, this song Tim Hughes wrote, Light of the World, You Step Down into Darkness, which, which talks about the cost. It talks about God's Christmas presence. Open my eyes, let me see, hope of a life spent with you. And then there is this bit, I never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. That that's 
what it cost God to become one of us, to draw alongside, to move in, to spend time with. 